Hi, it's Brian Winter. I just wanted to thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast in 2023. This will be our last episode of the year. We'll return in early January. If the season has you feeling especially generous, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast site. Happy holidays, boas festas, y nos vemos en el 2024. This is the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva's first year back in office has been marked by a healthy economy and relatively responsible management of the budget. What's the outlook for Brazil's economy and politics as we look ahead to 2024? I see Lula applying moderate economic policy because he knows what happens to inflation when you go crazy, like when you spend a lot. I think Lula is fighting for more balance between spending and looking after the voters who vote for him, who voted for him. And that is his big demand. started with Brazil's future looking really uncertain. We all saw the images of January 8th when government buildings were invaded and sacked by supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro. And it really seemed like President Lula was going to struggle to heal the country's wounds in a country much more polarized, much more conservative than during his first presidency from 2003 to 2010. But you know, sitting here today, Brazil actually looks pretty normal. Lula has an approval rating somewhere between 50 and 60% in most polls. That makes him the envy of many other leaders around the region. The economy is expected to grow about 3% this year, about triple the original forecasts. A historic tax reform praised by investors recently passed Brazil's legislature, and Lula's relationship with the fickle group of ideologically amorphous legislators known as the Centrão, who effectively control both houses of Congress, has been, on balance, fairly productive. Today on the podcast, we'll look ahead and ask if this tentative peace can last. What are the challenges for Lula and for Brazil as we move into 2024? How has Lula personally evolved since his first presidency 20 years ago? What is the state of Bolsonaro's conservative movement today? Our guest, Natuza Neri, is one of Brazil's best sourced political journalists. She is a commentator for Global News and host of the podcast O Assunto. She's also I should say, a former colleague. We worked together at Reuters in Brazil more than a decade ago and even wrote a couple stories together back in the day. And therefore, it's it's an especial honor to have her with us here. Natuza, welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. Thanks, Brian. I'm very happy to be here. I have a long history with you. And let's start. Natuza, 
Your first impression, speaking as a reporter, how would you describe the Lula government's performance in 2023? What was the biggest surprise for you? Well, Brian, I think we will agree that the biggest surprise was the GDP performance. Back in January, I looked to the future while the finance minister was promising a better GDP performance, I thought, Mm-hmm. Ain't going to happen. They don't seem to know what they will find in Congress. And at the end of the year, we are talking about a 3% growth of the GDP. So that was, for me, the biggest surprise. Like being able to pass some laws that I didn't find it was going, you know, to pass. Yeah, the economy, definitely an unexpected bright spot. 3% growth compared to the forecasts around 1% at the beginning of the year. And no matter what country you are in the world, if the economy is doing well, that gives you a nice a nice push when you take office. I want to talk a little bit more about the economy in a moment. But first, you know, I want to take advantage of the fact that you have known so many of these key figures in Brasilia for so long, including Lula. You've interviewed him many times over the years. How is he different now compared to during his first presidency? Right, I think he's the same man with a bunch of traumas. He was put in jail. And while he was there, he lost a brother and he lost a grandson. It was huge for him. So... He is the same man, like very pragmatic, very charismatic, but with more pain. How has that personality change affected him as president? I've heard, for example, that it has made him, his experience in jail, made him less likely to trust people around him, or at least made him trust fewer people. Do you think that's the case? The traumas for before have changed the way he feels about who is going to be his um, chosen to the Supreme Court. He's chosen to this justice ministry. And uh, I think that changed. He's trying to protect himself more than in the past because I suppose from his perspective, he's seen the dangers that come with not having absolute allies in places like the justice ministry and the Supreme Court. Yeah, then you will see now he's closer to the Supreme Court ministers. Is that true primarily with the judiciary because of the risks that he sees? Or is he also speaking to people outside his usual circle, maybe people he would not have dialogued with on things like economic issues? I think so, but I I don't see Lula in the past avoiding those people. You know, I cover his uh, both of his two terms of government, and he was like that back then. He talks to anyone, and he talked to anyone back then if he was in need. Now he needs more because the conservative movement is stronger. So he his need now is different. He's less powerful than he was back then. Who does he mostly listen to now? He listens to Jacques Wagner, who is a senator, leader of the government in the Senate. Janja, 
but he doesn't do whatever she says. He disagree with Adagius sometimes, but he listens to him. He has um, a father and son relationship with him. It's very strong. And uh, people around who try to put them aside will not achieve this goal because they are very, very, very close. But that's the big difference. I think you were completely right. He listens less than he used to. Let's talk a little more about Fernando Adagi, the, the finance minister. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the economy has been an unexpected bright spot. Some of this was good luck. Brazil had a very strong harvest at the beginning of the year, but some of it was due to Lula charting out a relatively moderate economic policy, more moderate than some people in his workers' party wanted, and empowering Fernando Adagi. How did this happen? How sustainable is it? And how much resistance do you think Hadaji and this more moderate approach might face as we move into 2024? Well, I think luck is a, you know, plays a, a good role in Lula's political life. But I don't think that's the main reason. I really don't. And I don't think Lula has played radical economic policy over the years he was in charge. I really don't. I see Lula applying a moderate economic policy because he knows what happens to inflation when you go crazy, like when you spend a lot. I think Lula is fighting for a more balance between spending and uh, looking after the voters who voted for him. And that is his big demand. He's afraid. He knows times are way more difficult nowadays than was before. I mean, he basically killed the opposition during his two first terms. And now he has not a strong opposition, but he has the Centrão, a political group that has growing stronger and stronger over the years, especially over the Bolsonaro's years. Centrão is either opposition or a lie, those people are both for Lula. And the spirit of Centrão is that I may give you what you want, but first you have to share the public budget with me in areas I say so without you questioning me. Or they can say, they may say, I can give you what you want if you let me put a person I trust in charge of some cabinet, and usually is the cabinet that controls a lot of money. So that means the Centrão have become so powerful under Bolsonaro's administration that they don't want to. They don't want to go backwards. They want more. They want more power. And Lula knows that if he gives more power to them, he will lose control of things, and he may lose control of government. So when you ask me, like, how is Fernando Adagi handling this. I mean, if you see photographs of Fernando Adagi from the beginning of the year, he was in better shape. Now he's quite tired. Well, our mutual friend, the Brazilian political analyst Thomas Trauman, famously wrote a book called The Worst Job in the World, which was about being finance minister of Brazil. So I, I think Adagi 
is not the first person that the job has taken a toll on. I appreciate your point about Lula never being a radical on the economic policy front, but within the sort of the framework of uh, the spectrum of possible policies for him, he is, as you know, under pressure to spend more from a variety of fronts, from the Centron in order to keep you know them happy with the pork barrel spending and other things, and also from the leftist part of the Workers' Party, which has been very upset with this idea of pursuing a, a zero deficit, primary deficit in 2024. Do you think Lula and Hadaji will be able to hold the line on that? I mean, I know that's a that's the big question that a lot of investors have as we move into next year. Well, before I answer that, let me just try to give you a picture of how decisions are made in Lula's administration. You will always see big discussions, but that's the way Lula does things. You know, that's the way PT, his party, is. Like in meetings, since always, Lula usually let his mates fight for one specific idea or more than one specific idea, leaves the room, let them fight after, and then he gets or the best idea of all or the mix of the ideas. That's how he decides most of the time. But now about Adaji, I can tell you that he will face a lot more pressure than he's facing now, probably, because we have elections municipal elections. And the more lies you elect, better is your chance in the elections of 2026. And Lula is likely to run again. So PT is looking at the next year's election as a big challenge because the economy is doing much better than analysis from the market was pointing at Lula is not doing bad in the polls, but he's like not doing pretty well. And this is a sign of alert that the economy has to grow more. And growing the economy doesn't mean the people's lives are better. They have to feel it's getting it's getting better. Because if they don't feel Lula is not going to do better in the polls. And that's why people in PT are desperate for spending to make people feel their lives are getting better. But Lula, at the end of the day, knows that if he doesn't do a moderate policy, he will end up of increasing inflation in a country that is struggling. So I think at the end of the day, he's going to be at a badge side all the time. But that doesn't mean that you will not face pressure. And Tuz, I want to do a full x-ray of Brazilian politics today, or at least as full as possible in 30 minutes. And so let me ask you about the state of the conservative movement in Brazil, which you've alluded to several times. It's true that Lula's president, but this is still a much more socially conservative country than it was 20 years ago when he was president for the first time. What is the state of that movement today, of that conservative opposition? And, you know, is Jair Bolsonaro still the leader of this conservative movement? Because he, as we've discussed on the podcast and elsewhere in America's Quarterly, he has seemed to lose 
a lot of power in 2023? I think they're strong. The question is, will he be able to lend his influence to elect a candidate that is not him? If Bolsonaro himself didn't get elected, we don't know. Like, we can we can try to to think about it. But the only thing I can tell you, Brian, right now is that we live in the conservative era, like around the globe. Brazil has written a different story, but so Brazil is a point outside the curve. Totally, totally. Like the wind was blowing to a different direction, but he got elected. A man from the left, president two times, got elected because Bolsonaro did a bad government, especially during the COVID times. So I don't know. I don't know. He cannot run again, as we know. But I think the conservatives or the far right are stronger than ever. Brazil is a conservative country that sometimes elects a president from the left. Sometimes, not always. I want to ask you about 2026, but before I do, I want to, you know, avoid the temptation to just focus too much on elections and ask about, because it's still, you know, three years away. What kind of opposition is the right doing against Lula right now? Are there any issues where they are gaining traction or have so many of these legislators been co-opted essentially by the Lula government with the promise of spending and other things that they're not really providing an effective opposition right now? That's a funny question, an interesting question, because if you take the Bolsonaro's movement in Congress, they are the minority. They don't go too far. But the danger is when you have a centrão, they are conservative too. Like they were never like progressive. When you put together the interests of centrão with the interests of Bolsonaro's group in Congress, then you have a headache. Then you have a, a hard time. So I think the key to understand Brazil's moment right now is to understand the Centrão. I used to describe the relationship between Centrão and the government or the governments because it has always been like that as a relationship between a bacteria and a body. <laughs> How about that? How about that didn't win you a lot of friends in the Centrão? I don't need friends. I need sources. Yeah, fair enough. Complaining, but talking to me. <laughs> so if your body's weak, the bacteria will make you ill and even kill you. If you have a good state of immunity, like doing well in the pools, and we're back to the that discussion, the bacteria remains there, but under control. So the key point and the key challenges to Lula or to Lula's administration come from this point of view, controlling the bacteria, controlling the ambition. So let, let's talk just a little bit more about the Centrão, because I, I agree it's so important to understanding today's Brazil. It's this 
block that, you know, Central, of course, for our relatively new listeners, it means the big center, although this is not a centrist coalition. They're from the right. And sometimes if they win things, you know, if they win goodies, then they help left governments to to govern. That's true. And I think, you know, they are... It was, so what are they... What motivates them? This is interesting because they get portrayed as being this very cynical group that is only out for money. And I think there is clearly truth to that. But maybe it's not the entire truth because this is also a group that is pushing for a certain socially conservative agenda sometimes, not as far right as Bolsonaro and his group, but still further to the right than, say, the PT or even the old PSDB would have wanted, and is also pushing things like this tax reform that recently passed that, you know, in favor of a more, I suppose, market-friendly Brazilian economy. Does that sound right to you? The Centro has never been fiscalist. They are not like that. They have a spending zone. But they always had a hard time entering the club, like the markets, the Faria Lima, the Brazilian Wall Street. And at some point during Bolsonaro's administration, they actually liked the conversation that they were having with, you know, bankers and economists. And they came to feel like they could change the image they have. And they made concessions. It's not a deeply held conviction is what I'm hearing. Last week, Poder 360, uh, a media here, journalistic media here, wrote that the government in two days has opened more than 10 billion reais to pay the Congress with the public budget. And they have to pay to the Bolsonaro's party, too. So is that logic? Like, if I'm a reformist, should I exchange the tax reform for benefits for me and my group and my party and my, you know, uh, political base? No. Like, a tax reform is a state reform. It couldn't ever, ever be, you know, on the table if you, you know, if you pay me this or if you, my ally becomes minister, I'm going to vote for you. I'm going to work for you to approve the tax reform. They're transactional first <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah, That's my point. I guess from a political risk perspective, what that means is that this alliance that Lula has with the Centrão is fine as long as it lasts and as long as resources are flowing in and the economy is growing at a decent pace, but that the risk of this coalition necessary to govern, the risks that it unwinds are, are not something to be ignored, right? I mean, if, if the economy turns especially. Do you remember that movie from the 90s, Slipping with the Enemy? 
I do. Yes. It's more or less like that. You know, the movie can uh, change its name. Like, in, it could be sleeping with the friend, you know, in the future. But right now, it's not to, you know, to that point yet. It may become, but right now, it's sleeping with the enemy. Final question for you, Natuza. You know, as we look into 2024, what what do you think Lula's biggest challenge is? And what are the risks to this somewhat more stable, positive Brazil that we have not already discussed? It's very hard to see, like, a day ahead in Brazil. That is the voice of experience speaking right there. Yeah. <laughs> I like very much that quote from Pedro Malan, a former Brazilian finance minister, that he used to say, in Brazil, even the past is uncertain. <laughs> so I don't know what risks are ahead of us, but I know the risks that played this year. You know, the Congress unstable the conservative movement is still strong and they're they're going to be like that for a long time and uh the position of lula in the pools i think the main risk right now is for the administration for the government is to fall in the pools to a point that the bacteria is is going to get bigger. I think that's the main challenge. And if the government also get a finance discontrol to a point that inflation increases, then I see a, a future in a way that it's not good for anyone. That's a... Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We learned so much. We hope to have you again uh, sometime in 2024. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.